want to welcome you to the Bethel Podcast today. This is Pastor Tim Gibb. It's Wednesday, February 26th, and so glad to have you join us on this podcast. Can you believe we're already at the end of February? This coming Sunday is March the 1st, and then just three weeks and we'll be hitting officially spring. Yay! That's fantastic. And uh, so just a little bit more of winter. And then the warmer weather will soon be appear. I'm already noticing when I was driving to church Sunday night, I noticed the days are getting longer. So that's awesome. Uh, we're looking forward to this coming Sunday, March 1st. We're going to have a service, a little bit shorter service, because we're going to have an annual, our annual members meeting. So if you are listening to this and you're an official member of Bethel, please be there on Sunday and be a part of the members meeting. We just share a financial report and elect our elders for 2020. And just share a little bit about what God's been doing at the life of the ministry of Bethel Church. If you're not a member, why don't you consider becoming a member? Please talk to me. But you're also welcome to be a part of the elders, or the annual meeting rather, as a a visitor. So we welcome you in that. This year in 2020, uh, Bethel is celebrating 84 years as a church community. And uh, this year is 40 years. If you go into our lobby, you'll see a, a marker that says Dedicate to the Glory of God 1980. The actual dedication was in the month of November 1980. So this fall, I'm really announcing it now for the first time, but I'll say more about it at our annual meeting. And then as we go into the year and then certainly get into the fall, we're going to be celebrating 40 years at our current location, 1565 London Line. So 84 years as a church this year, we'll celebrate in November of 2020, 40 years at our current location on the Golden Mile, 1565 London Line. So for today's podcast, um, I did a little interview back in early January with three gentlemen in our church. One of is our elders, Caleb Courtney, and then also uh, two senior men. One was there right at the very first days of Bethel Church. He was the one, one of the kids under the tree that Edna Riblet, and we'll explain this in a moment here, but as this church was just forming, Martin McCabe was a part of this church, and he's been a part of it for 84 years, our oldest living member. And then not too far from him is Roy and his brother Staley Allen, and so I do an interview with uh, Caleb Courtney, who's written a book about our Bethel history, and then also with uh, Roy Allen and Martin McCabe. So that's our podcast today. If you're interested in the early days of Bethel Church and some history, you'll enjoy this podcast. So let's go into that interview now. Well, we're right into the beginning of 2020, and I want to welcome you to the Bethel Podcast. This is Pastor Tim Gibb, and I'm really blessed today to have three gentlemen join me. One is one of our elders, Caleb Courtney, who's also one of our regular worship leaders. So I know many of you, or almost all of you, would know Caleb. And then two senior men of our fellowship are with me here today with Caleb and I. And the first is Martin McCabe and Roy Allen. So good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Good to have you here. We're glad to be here. Very good. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to look forward to talking with Martin and uh, Roy. Maybe I'll just first start with Caleb, because Caleb 
just uh, about, what is it, a year ago, two years ago, you wrote a book. 2016. 2016. Yeah. Wow, four years <laughs> ago. How time flies. It's 2020 now. Yeah. yeah. I remember we were celebrating uh, an anniversary that 80th. year. Our 80th. Yeah. anniversary. Yeah. And Caleb was well in, uh, involved with schooling. And I said to him, Caleb, uh, could you just write an article for our bulletin, like a two-pager or something? And he was a little unsure if he could do that. And, and rightfully so with all of his activities. And I said, well, then even a page with lots of pictures or something. <laughs> and, uh, well, I didn't hear from him, and the time came and went. And then a couple weeks after, he produces a whole book. <laughs> <laughs> That's like Caleb Courtney. Yeah. But, uh, Caleb, first of all, maybe yeah. just um, a little bit about why you got interested in, what's your interest in Pentecostal history, and particularly... Sarnia Pentecostal history and Bethel Church. Sure. Well, I come from a family of Pentecostals. Uh, I would be a fourth generation Pentecostal and uh, moved to Sarnia and I had no idea of the history here. And for me, context means a lot. And so I was very interested in knowing where, like how did the first Pentecostals come to be here? Because the Mm -hmm. Pentecostal movement is only, you know, just over a hundred years old. Like 1906, it first came to Canada. Uh, in Toronto, and and uh, and so it, it's young, and yeah. so there's a there was a history to be known, and so I thought, well, I I can research this and, mm-hmm. and put something together and figure this out. Very good. So I actually want to do another podcast just with you to talk about Pentecostal history mm-hmm. and its origins for Canada and Toronto, mm-hmm. but we're looking just more specifically about Sarnia and Bethel Church here today. Yeah. And uh, before we get in with Roy and Martin. Uh, just a little bit about the, what you found out about the very first beginnings of Pentecost in Sarnia. Right. So we thought, as we'll hear today, that it started in 1936. Yeah. That's the story that was told and the story that we knew. But when I started researching it, I realized, thanks to one of my professors in a newsletter from India from the 1900s, <laughs> early 1900s, that there was actually a lady who was a school teacher here that that went to, she was a Baptist lady, uh, went to Central Baptist, went to McMaster University for ministry training, learned how to translate from Greek, uh, Greek, the Greek Bible into English. And uh, in the course of her study, she somehow made it to the Hebden Mission uh, on Queen Street in Toronto and was filled with the Holy Spirit and actually felt the Spirit say to her, Go back to Sarnia and tell thy friends what the Lord has done for thee. Hmm. And this is in 1907, May 1907. She just graduated. And she actually said this, that compared to graduating with her degree, she felt that was nothing compared to her empowerment of the Spirit. It's wonderful. Wow. And she had felt like in her education, she had become dry. She wanted more of the Lord, but just had lost the zeal. And when the Spirit touched her, she felt just that... um, just that energy and the passion and the, the feeling that Jesus had come alongside her. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and she came back and she did that. And so she held some meetings here then? or So she, she describes it this way. She had a small Pentecostal company here, okay. <laughs> which just meant like a small gathering of people, right? Yeah. And she really felt called to go to India as a missionary, but had no idea how that could happen. Right. And so she was in this teaching in a one-room schoolhouse out uh, near Corona and Moortown Way, and her dad was a principal in town, uh, actually Johnson Memorial School that used mm-hmm. to be here. It was named after him. Her last name was Johnson. Okay. And, uh, 
and she had no idea how she'd make it to India. And the headlands came down, and she was just in a room, a living room, one afternoon, a Sunday afternoon, I think it was, and she was walking by the room, and, and Ellen Hebden was in the room just speaking in tongues, just as something she'd normally do, and she was interpreting her own tongues. Wow. <laughs> it's just no one else was in the room, and, and, and Barbara Johnson just happened to be walking by, and she was saying, the Lord is calling, the Lord is calling thee to India. And here Barbara Johnson had been feeling this all of her life since wow. childhood. Wow. And she said, I knew the Lord was speaking to me in yep. that moment. And the connections were made. And that November, she uh, this was in August. Mm -hmm. And that November, she left for India. November and, of 1907? Uh, 1908. Oh, eight. Yes. Okay. So the Helens came down in August of 1908. Yeah. And in that November, she had found another teacher to take over the school. Yeah. She had found someone else to take over the small Pentecostal gathering that she had. <laughs> okay. And she went. She boarded a boat with a bunch of missionaries and went to India. Yes, wow. And that's that was her that was her life. So you you discovered this was the very first beginnings of the Pentecost in Sarnia with right. this Barbara Johnson who received this baptism of the Spirit, influenced by the Hebden ministry out of Toronto, mm -hmm. came down and then this call to India. And the interesting thing, it's only six months. Like she connected with this ministry yeah. only about six months after Ellen Hepton had experienced it. Like it was early. Wow. Mm -hmm. So we were one of the first wow. handful of, of places yeah. that experienced it. Now Bethel as a church, mm -hmm. we have our our history is nineteen thirty six. Right. So between two thousand seven, eight and thirty six I don't know if there's much that's known about those years. There's a lot of empty spots. We do know that a guy named Frank Jolly, yeah. who was saved in the London church under the ministry of uh, R.E. McAllister, which mm -hmm. is a common name that people would that's know. Yeah. He ran the denomination, the PAOC, out of his house okay. in London, Ontario. Okay. And and uh, we, the people in Sarnia had tried to affiliate with the PAOC numerous times, and there just wasn't a worker who could be sent here. Yeah. And so Frank Jolly was saved in that church, went to Bible college, and came back to Sarnia in 19... was sent to Sarnia in 1929, started a church, got married, and then moved away. Okay. <laughs> so... And we don't know anything that came of that then. So we know that the church was downtown on uh, Front Street. Yeah. Uh, above the hydro office. Okay. And, and that's... that's now, do you guys here. have any memory of that? Maybe not. 1929 was yeah. the year. Yeah, so yeah. Martin year born. Martin was born in 1929. <laughs> yes. So that was a great year. Here we are in 2020. Wow. Now, your father was Pentecostal. Not in the beginning. Not in the beginning. Not All in the right. beginning. Okay. So let's jump now ahead because I've got Martin McCabe here. Martin uh, was born in 1929, he just told us. So I have to think my math. That would make you, are you 91? Just turned 90. Just turned 90. Okay. Very good. Martin and Roy, we're really blessed to have you at Bethel in many years. And so I think Martin is the, the reason I have Martin and Roy here is because they are the longest attendees, members of Bethel Church. I think Martin is number one and Roy is number two in that longevity because Martin was here day, almost day one, you would say, day one. So born in 1929, 1936, you would have been obviously six years old uh, around there. And tell us some of your early memories and how you got connected to Bethel and how it became Bethel. It wasn't quite Bethel in 1936, I don't think. I don't know. Uh, we lived in a very poor 
poverty part of the city, and they called that area Tin Pan Alley. <laughs> Tin Pan Alley? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, of course, we were poor, all right. We never had hydro, running water, or inside washrooms. So we had to make up our own lights at night. And one day this Mrs. Edna Riblet with her assistant, uh, Jesse Leghorn, came to our door, knocked on our door and asked us if we wanted to go to a Sunday school. And she said, we'll have it over in the next tree underneath a uh, tree. Okay. And I can remember it so well because it was a very hot day. Yeah. And very few leaves on this tree <laughs> to shadow us. Uh, however, after a Sunday or two, there was a gentleman who lived on the street across from the, the uh, tree who do, uh, wanted to let her use her, her his basement for a Sunday school. So we endured that for a while and sat on benches until an uncle of mine gave them a one room house on uh, White Street was called then, but it's now Oxford. And it kept growing and it got too large for her. She, they had to add on and, and they added on to the one room house with lumber and materials given by a belt and lower company. And uh, from there on, she continued, but the church kept growing, as you can see, by some of the pictures. And she wasn't uh, schooled enough in the Bible to handle the whole thing. And she had uh, special speakers like uh, Reverend Boyd from Port Huron and uh, uh, Reverend Williams um, come and preach and take over because uh, People were getting saved and being filled with the Holy Spirit and having a great spiritual meetings and having a good time. So it went on from there until uh, she decides she can't handle it anymore. So she wanted, turned it over to POC with uh, uh, Reverend uh, A.O. Rotley, Charlie Rotley's father, coming to pastor the church. And he carried on for five or six years before he moved to Wallaceburg. And they had, in the meantime, they moved the church to the corner of Lincoln and White Street at the time. And it kind of grew and grew. And, and my father was a little reluctant. He was on the board, but he finally gave in and signed it over to the POC as a uh, Mrs. Riblet was uh, from the uh, Methodist Church. Right. And she, she got to uh, uh, learn, about, uh, learn about a lot about uh, the ministry and being filled with the Holy Spirit. She couldn't handle the whole works, but <laughs> she was quite involved. And from there on, I guess they uh, moved to Essex Street and worshipped in a basement church. Yeah. And, uh, so what year would have been when they moved to Essex? No, I'm not sure if... Okay, uh, Caleb's going to let us yeah, know. He'll have that for I us in a second. I was going to suggest that he 
would carry on with all the uh, progressive uh, ministers that came sure. and took over. So before we get to Essex Street, let's just let's just go back and recap. Uh, so this lady you're speaking of, and I think you said her name, but Edna Riblet, right? This Methodist woman. Yeah. She was the one that started this under the park by the tree. Was under she the, the one? Little tree. Yeah. yeah, in the park. And you were one of the you were one of the first ones there. Right. Yeah. I think we even have, unfortunately, with the podcast, we don't have photos, but we actually have a photo here, and you're in that photo, I believe. Is that right? Right. Yeah. So Martin was. Was under the tree when this thing first began with Sister Edna Riblet, and then someone someone donated a house. Is that what happened? Yeah, an uncle of mine. An uncle of yours. Yeah, John Miller. Okay, he gave to the gave to yeah. her a, a house. Yeah, that would have been quite a generous donation. Right at the time. Yeah, and so then the meeting. I, I imagine with winter and stuff, it'd be a little bit cold to meet. Hot in the summer and cold in the winter, so you'd meet at the house then. Yeah, they would. Yeah. Someone would have to go and get the fire started. Now you said it was on White Street, but now it's called Oxford. Right. Yeah. So we know. Uh, I mean, I know Oxford Street, and yeah. And Lincoln Park. And Lincoln the, Park. And it was on the south. They moved it to the southeast corner. Okay. After they moved, uh, it was yeah. a little further north and on the west side. I should know the answer to this, but that house doesn't exist anymore. No. No. There's a house there. Right on the property. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I mean, up to date house. Yeah. It would have been a bigger church. Now, Sister Edna, my saying is, like you said, she was a Methodist woman, and she traveled to Paris, Ontario, where our camp, Brayside Camp, was started by uh, Ruth Pinkston's father, J.H. Blair. J. H. Blair. Oh, yeah. So you guys know the name J.H. Blair. Oh, yes, I do, yeah. Yeah, and I believe he started Brayside. I think he became known as Mr. Yeah, Brayside. He was. Yeah, oh, yeah. And uh, that's where Edna went and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And then came back to Sarnia. Yeah. And I think she didn't, uh, she was encouraged, and you can correct me, but to become the pastor, like a church was forming. But I think maybe two things. Maybe because she was a woman, maybe. I don't know. And uh, uh, because it wasn't as common back then. And then she was single at the time, but then there was a love interest. Mm-hmm. And that love interest with marriage moved her away from Sarnia. Is that that's what I understand. From my understanding, between what Martin yeah. said. Yeah, is that I, what you remember? I, I believe she married this gentleman. Okay. And they, they, she built a little house on the, the street that is uh, east of White Street. Okay. And that's where she resided when I last knew her. Right. But Ale Routley became the first pastor. Right. And that's when, at the same time, Whoever was the board or the organizing committee decided to make this part of the Pentecostal Assemblies. Right. So yeah. I have a copy of the paper there, okay. the, the affiliation paper from the PAOC archives. And Edna Riblet is listed as the pastor of the affiliated assembly. Okay. Uh, but then they sent A.O. Rutley to, when she expressed, I think what you were saying, yeah. a little being a little more overwhelmed, she didn't have the same training right. as pastors would have had. Exactly, for sure. So she was just a layperson at the Free yeah. Methodist Church. So what would her. happen under the tree when you guys met? Like, was there was it games or was it just a Bible no, study? No, or she, she would teach us a Sunday school lesson. I okay, guess, uh, I would kind of probably forget part of it. Or sure. 
And you remember being in that, what they call White Street Mission? That was, oh, definitely, yeah. And anything you can remember of the, those meetings and services? Or? Well, yeah, they were quite lively, and the, so was the, uh, the uh, preachers that they brought in. Okay. And got the people um, teaching them the truth of the gospel and what was included. Yeah. And now you're as your your these are your early days as a young boy, and then becoming a teenager, you were right involved with all of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I used to drive Sunday school bus and uh, take care of the offering. Yeah. And was an elder and was a uh, deacon. Yeah. And the pictures are all in the book there. Yeah. Doing what he could. So that's all over the years. Yes. Yeah. So let's bring Roy into this now. Roy, when did you first uh, start coming to Bethel? Okay, my history with Bethel Church goes back to July of 1950. As a teenager and my brother Staley moved up from Nova Scotia, we boarded with my sister Marion Burden, who's the wife of Frank Burden <laughs> Jr., and we attended church with them because we were Baptist in Nova Scotia, but we knew nobody in Sarnia. So we went along to the Pentecostal church here with my sister and brother-in-law. Well, it wasn't long before there was an evangelist came in September of 1950 that preached a message on heaven and hell. And he made it very clear to us that if you weren't saved, you were going to end up in hell if you weren't born again. So the Spirit of God spoke to my heart that night, and my brother-in-law, Frank, nudged me when we were at the altar call. He nudged me, says, Roy and Staley, come on up with me, and I'll pray with you. We'll get saved. So we both left our seats, went up front, knelt down, and let Jesus into our heart. And I was 17 at that time. Wow. And that's over 70 years ago this coming September of 2020. So I've been going to Bethel almost 70 years this July of 20. So that's my history of how I got saved, how God drew us up from Nova Scotia, wanted us both saved. My mother prayed that the Lord would do something with us. He sure did. And that's my history. Wow, okay. So uh, if I do the math, it makes you 87 now, is that 80, right? I'll be 87 in January 13th, so oh. two weeks. Oh, okay. So, so we'll we, have my birthday uh, party. So 87. <laughs> to remember uh, I right have to admit it, but here I am. Two two weeks. Weeks. Very good. 87. Very good. And, um, yeah, so you came uh, 1950, July of 50, but it was in 1948 that they moved to Essex Street. So we're going to get back to Roy, but Martin... Do you remember much about that move? I mean, you would have been now a young man, uh, the move when they went from White Street Mission to Essex Street. That was in 48. Yeah. Uh, vaguely, but the two gentlemen uh, were working on the building. Okay. Uh, Brother Tosh and, and Giselle. Uh, Harry Tosh? Mm -hmm. Harry Tosh. Okay. Nelson Dizelle. Nelson Dizelle, okay. They, they put on, they, they moved here from Kitchener. Yeah. And they built the top part of the church. Okay. In 54, right? You said that was. Uh, yeah, 50, 1954, I think. Yeah. 54. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the top part of the church. The top part, yeah. So they moved to the bottom basement of the Essex Street. Yeah. 
at that time in Sarnia, you were only allowed to build because the war was so it was so close to the war. You were only allowed to build a single oh, basement. Okay. So a number of buildings in this area had that. Okay. Wow. And so then after the war was done, then you could apply to, oh, to finish up okay. the, the other floors. Right. So the White Street Mission prior to 1948, like it started in 36, so 10 years, they were having Sunday services, uh, Martin, obviously. I would, I would think they were having, the White Street Mission had Sunday services. And, oh, yes. Yeah, and then special, special services with evangelists. Right. Okay, then they mo- we made this move in 1948, and uh, the bottom part, because of the war, as you described, and then Roy arrived with Staley Allen, who's also part of our church, 1950, yeah. and in 54, mm-hmm. and sorry, 1950, uh, um, Frank, Frank Jolly was the pastor. Mm-hmm. What can you tell me about Frank Jolly? Either one of you. Oh, what I know of him, uh, when he left here, I, I don't know where he was pastoring, but somebody gave him trouble, and he gave up pastoring and opened up a barber shop in Stratford, and that's okay. where I last knew of him. Okay. So that was after Bethel he, he yeah. went? Okay. So he had a little bit of difficulty. Yes. Okay. But you know Frank Jolly. Yes, he was I the think, one that helped you come to the Lord. That's right. He uh, mentioned uh, one Sunday night, he says, are you saved? And I said, no, but I'm thinking about it because I want to be truthful. And like I say, it was only two months later that I did get saved. But Frank Jolly had a beautiful baritone voice, a very deep voice, and a very good singer. He liked music. His wife's name, I think, was Pauline, wasn't it? I think so. And I think they moved up to around Sudbury after they left that place in Stratford. Okay. Uh, took a pastoring up there somewhere. Yeah. And I think Saint he ended up his life up there somewhere. Sault Ste. Marie. Sault Ste. Marie, was it? Yeah. Okay. That's now, Bob Norcross came in 1953. 53, Bob Norcross. And it was in 54 that the addition was put on, on yeah. the Essex uh, Street building. That's right. Yeah. So what can you tell me about those days? Uh, maybe something about... Bob and Jesse Norcross, and uh, and then also just about the Essex Street Church. Well, Bob was a Scotchman, I believe. Okay. And uh, I remember him telling us that he had a, a sheep stomach put in, because Bob used to be a, quite a drinker before he got saved when he lived in Galt. Really? And uh, wow. he, he ruined his stomach with, with a lot of drink. But God was good to him, and he was a thin, a thin man, but very wiry and very strong for his age. And uh, I used to date his daughter, Laura Norcross. Well, now we're getting in the into 50s. the real. We're getting into the real <laughs> stuff now. <laughs> well, of course, we hung out with uh, with some other girls too. Uh, yeah. McCorriston, Lucille McCorriston, and Laura, and myself used to go out a lot evenings to the. You know, these hop places where you get your food on a on a tray on your side of your car. Oh, like an so, A&W type yeah, of? Yeah, A&W at, okay. uh, on Colburn Road. So, okay. Uh, <laughs> it was quite, and then Laura's brother, Ken Norcross, was pastor over in Port Huron for quite a few years. And then, of course, he moved around a lot in the States, but, uh, but he used to come over quite a bit, and he helped build the church in 54. Him and his brother, Don... 
uh, were, were carpenters, and they, Harry Tosh had hired them to do a lot of work on the church when they okay. got the top on. So. Okay. But Bob was uh, Bob was there probably what fifteen years was he or fourteen? Well, Bob was there from, from fifty three to sixty seven. Sixty seven. Okay. Fifty four years. Fifty three. Uh, no, yeah, not fifty years. Sorry. Uh, 53 to 67, which would be 14, 13, 14 years. Yeah, 14 yeah. years, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so Bob took, a, Bob took a church down in, uh, I think it was in Pennsylvania, in Youngstown. Yeah. Youngstown, Ohio, that was it, when okay. he moved from Sarnia. And then uh, he stayed there quite a few years, and then I don't know if he finished his ministry at Youngstown, Ohio. I, you know, he ended up in... Uh, in Brampton when he passed away because I remember visiting him on his bedside when he was passing away up there in, uh, at the church there at Kennedy Road. He lived there at the apartments there at Kennedy Road. Now, uh, in the Essex days, like when did Dorothy Dunn and then your dear wife Addie, she would play the piano back in those days, is that not right? I think it started in the late, in the late 50s or 60s. Addie came to Sarnia from Windsor in 59, and that's where I met her and married her in October of 59. Okay. And then uh, she, Joyce Ginrich was the pianist at that time. Then after Joyce moved away with her husband, Don, they went singing. They had a bus, and they called them the Saltones. That's Don, his brother, Don, and his brother, Doug, and Bill, uh, as a trio went Singing as a triat trio, you know, sure. making their living at that. Okay. So then, after she moved away, Addie took over as a pianist, and I think it goes back into the early '60s, and she stayed there till probably into the '80s uh, as and, a pianist. And Dorothy Dunn would have been Dorothy around. Dorothy Dunn was her accompaniment on the organ. Organ, yeah. Yeah, she right around the same. In 1956, she had come to. The Is that when Dorothy yeah. started? She yeah. Started, yeah. So Dorothy would have been a few years before Addie. I believe so because they yeah, because 56 and then 59. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, Martin, what are some of your memories of the Essex Street Church? Well, I don't know. I just remember being kind of active. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'd be missing half, half of the, uh, or most of the uh, sermon because I was busy driving the bus. i drive the bus, and then i teach Sunday school. i come back and drive the bus again. And when I got back with the bus, I'd be counting the money and taking care of it, putting it away in the bank. And so it's quite busy. Okay, so they even had a bus back then in the 50s. Yeah. Wow. And and you'd go bring kids for Sunday school, and then I guess you'd take them back yeah. and then during the sermon, service time. Right. Okay. All right. Um, now, any questions? Yeah, go ahead, Caleb. Roy or Martin, do you remember what a service was like in that building? Like, what was the format? Was it the same that we do now, or was well, it a little different? We used to have testimonies, what they call testimonies, yep. pop-up testimonies. Yep. Somebody that would lead the song service would say, now we're going to have a few testimonies. So, And sometimes if no one stood up, you would even pick out somebody and say, Lord, would you like to Harry Tosh give your testimony? Or Orville Douglas, would you like to say a few words? <laughs> testimonies was a common thing in the 50s. True. And maybe in the 60s, but that sort of faded out over the years. Yeah. Because some people would go on and on. Right. And tell the whole life story every time they testify. Every so, single time, right? So I think the pastor sort of cut that down. And, uh, 
Right. It was a wonderful time, and it was very good. It but was. but then it got a little bit uh, people. Hand, yeah. 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 <laughs> and yeah. sometimes I've heard of this happening in other churches. Was there like a prayer meeting after the service every week? Most every Sunday night there'd be a prayer time. The chairs would be lined up around, the, especially in the basement part. And even when we were on the top part, we'd go down in the lower part to have our prayer meetings. Most every Sunday night, it was a time of prayer. After the service. After the service. Okay. Most everyone was, would, now not everyone would stay, but maybe yeah. half the congregation would get down wow. have a time of prayer. And I remember people seeking for the baptism. It'd be elderly people that were quite versed on that, yeah. would pray with people by the hour. Wow. I remember sometimes I'd mm. stay two or three hours and it took me quite a while before I received my baptism. Mm. Just didn't know how to receive it, but it was there all the time, but I just didn't know how to receive it. Yeah. Now, didn't you have school and stuff the next day? We had school the next day. Many times we stayed 11, 11.30 before you'd be out of the service. 11, 11.30 11, at 11, night. 11.30 at night on a Sunday night. That was common. It was quite common, yeah. And, but school would be the next day for everybody. School would be. But I don't think many of the children that went to school would stay. Okay, that was. Mostly long. adults or teenagers. So there would be the service and then the after prayer after time prayer would go till 11. Long, yeah. Okay. And how, how long was the worship? How long did the sermon last? Like, probably an hour and a half. Like the pastor would probably speak, you know, maybe an hour Sometimes an hour, 45 minutes. <laughs> wow. You know, it's quite common. Yeah. So I'm a yeah. short pre- I, I, I'm a short-winded preacher then. <laughs> well, I think that includes the worship, right? In that yeah. time. The song. We'd have about yeah. three to four songs. Okay. I used to be song leader for quite a while. Oh, okay. And, uh, I was not only really song leader. I was head usher, usher, bus driver, Sunday school teacher, crusader leader. Right. You name it. Yeah. Board member, deacon. <laughs> wow. All the positions. If you want, if you were a willing person, you'd get the job. You know, like yes. in those days, you didn't have that many to pick from. So anybody that was sort of talented or willing to take the job, got the you'd job. Those, you'd hold those jobs and do them as under the Lord. Now, did a lot of people in the church take on a lot of jobs like that? A lot of them, because we didn't have the pe- people to draw from. Mm-hmm. Back in the uh, late fifties, maybe we only had a hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty people there. Okay. And then it started to grow under uh, Tom Richardson, ministry, yeah, Tom Cro- Richardson yeah. and George Carroll. When he was there, it started to, the church filled up, and that's why we had to rebuild and go out right. to London Road. Martin, so, do you do you remember the prayer times that he's talking about there? Uh, In the right, Sunday evenings? Just lightly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how far back, what year would that be? 66 years back. Hmm. Well, when Norcross was here, it was 53 to 67, and then Tom Richardson came in 1968. Yeah, I was here then, but one year I went away to uh, Bible school. Okay. So I was uh, absent for a couple of years. Right. And where did you go for that? Uh, in Toronto. The Pentecostal one? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then I got into painting wartime houses down in Kingston and Trenton and... Uh, so your painting business could, took you all over the place. For a couple of years there, I was yeah. way out. Of, and, uh, of course, uh, Charlie's sister and her husband were the pastors in Shawville, Quebec. Mm-hmm. And they used to come to Coburg Camp. So the Routleys, the Routleys were good in uh, getting people together and getting them married. Eh? <laughs> 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 so... 
That's where I met my wife, or why she's so far from home. Right. Yeah, your wife's from Quebec. Yeah, Shawville. Doris McCabe, okay, yeah. English town. Well, there was a great revival in Shawville, Quebec, uh, back in the day, yeah. Yeah. A Pentecostal revival, yeah. Yeah. So the church in the 60s, when Tom Richardson then came, Tom Richardson was the one, I understand, that purchased these 10 acres that we sit on today. Yeah. Yeah. What was the, uh, was there a lot of excitement in people about purchasing? I understand that some, some people maybe thought, boy, that's way out of town. We thought at the time it was quite a ways out. You kind of thought at the time it was a ways out of town. Yeah. Okay. Um, but was there excitement about this purchase? Or? I believe so. I believe that people were optimistic that our church was growing and that uh, Tom probably thought that it would be under his ministry that they had put the church there, but it never materialized yeah. uh, until uh, George Carroll. Okay. I think when I spoke to uh, Pastor Richardson, he was a little bit frustrated at the time that yeah. that it wasn't being built. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, and he had hoped that it would be. Right. Yeah. So just moving then ahead yet again, because uh, George Carroll is the one that came in 1978 mm-hmm. and uh, within immediately began building this building. Yes, because we filled up pretty quick in Essex Street. Right. We filled to the rim. Yeah. And uh, we just had to do something. Right. So there must have been great excitement with the people. I believe there was at that time. Yeah. Any memories of in 1978, 79, 80 when this building was being built? 80 when it was built, I was on the uh, boarding, or on the uh, building committee. Okay. And people were quite enthused about it. And uh, Ed Gidenrich built it for the sum of $45,000. Wow. <laughs> And uh, it's just going to be an open uh, sanctuary. And of course, I was looking ahead and I said, oh, it's going to grow. You better put a, a balcony in there. So Ab says, well, you're right. He says, I only have to go one block higher and we can put in the uh, balcony. Okay. So, and so as I look forward, I think you'll have to consider... Uh, maybe building something bigger because the Lord's going to work in his own way and send you a revival mm-hmm. and have to uh, commend the uh, brother Gibb and his present staff for the way they are re- have been rebuilding and the work they are doing now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, I mean, the I just admire the faith of the people of that church back in 1970s, like the early the 70s, 60s, 70s, up to 78, to take on this building. Now you say forty five thousand hmm. dollars was the uh, was the cost. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, in today's that's nothing today, but of course yeah. it's all uh, relative yeah, to that, the time. That was his. Yeah. Uh, right for the contracting it, the material like was, was more extra, than that. Yeah. Okay. But it was um, it was uh, a big step of faith. It was. Yeah, I was told. Now maybe maybe I have this a little wrong, but like the district at that time would you know give a blessing on a three to one debt ratio to build. But uh, George Carroll and them, I think that was six or seven to one mm. as far as the annual budget, right? Mm. To to um, and there was some real years of challenge and paying that down and. Yes. Yeah. There were some interest rates at 19% when we built and yeah. moved wow. to the church. 
in the 80s. I was told that, that you would have some special dinners to raise funds just to pay the interest for that month. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so, but thank the Lord that... That, that all of you in that church had the faith to do it, even though through some challenging times. But look at the growth. And, and here we are in 2020. Can you guys imagine that we're in 2020? It's very hard to believe. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone so fast. Gone so fast. 40 years since the church was built yeah. back in 80. Right. I don't know where those years have gone. It's gone so fast. Yeah. And you don't realize it until you hit that. At that age. But it must give to both of you a real sense of appreciation and thankfulness to the Lord. You know, Martin, you started at a tree <laughs> in a White Street mission. You know, you grew up at the poverty uh, area of Sarnia. Right. And here you are now, 90 years of age. And look at the, the, the building we have and the property and the, the influence and... Uh, you know, the, even over this, the last 10 years, we've seen like well over a million dollars, probably a million and a half, maybe even two million, I'd have to think for a minute, but given in missions and support and, you know, what we're doing all around the world and and the, uh, the, the congregation that we have today. and I can only imagine what Edna Riblet would be thinking. Yeah. Because she, she wrote into the testimony in those early years saying we're especially interested in the missionary endeavors. Wow. wow. Right? And here we are, yeah. you know, not trying to toot our own horn or anything, but just like yeah. with a strong missions mentality, yeah. right? Thinking beyond ourselves. Uh, uh, so maybe as we conclude here, just for both of you to just give a final thought about just as you look back over the years, just any memory or, or thought that comes to mind as you think uh, – one of you want to go first? Uh, the years of being at Bethel. Uh, yeah. Well, my three boys were dedicated at uh, at Bethel on Essex Street yep. back in the '60s, and I look back, and those were days of nice memories. I was married there in October 24 of 1959. My good wife and I uh, walked down the aisle, and uh, we proposed, and. We made our vows there with Mr. Norcross. So I have a, a good history, a good memory of, of Essex Street. That's where I got saved. Now i got to tell you of, of an experience that I went through when I was 18. At the end of one of our midweek services on a Wednesday, we all gathered together in a little prayer room on the side. Martin, you probably remember where that little prayer room was off the side, where there was carpets down there. Well, anyway, there was about 15 of us there finishing up the service, just praising God for a moment. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God hit me, put me on my back, which I've seen before with other people, but never had it happen to me. All of a sudden, I'm on my back, never heard a muscle, because when the Holy Spirit does something to you, he's, he's a gentleman. You don't get hurt. Mm-hmm. Nobody touched me. Yep. It's just that I fell back, and here I am down there, prostrate in the back, I only stayed there for a few minutes because I thought I was, I was drawing attention to myself, and I thought I was just young, eighteen, and I thought what had happened to me. But I knew what it was that it was God, and I never forgot that experience. Wow. So nobody could ever tell me that the Holy Spirit is not real and that the things of God are not real because I had an experience that night 
That happened almost 69 years ago, and I still remember it just as though it happened yesterday. Wow. The Spirit of God put me on my back, and I just thought, God, you're powerful to be able to do that and not get hurt. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in. Yeah, that's amazing. Martin, What are you, that's beautiful, Roy. What's another? Well, when I look back over the, the beginning of the church and how it has progressed through the years, how the Lord has blessed and met all the needs and brought in the right pastors and, and how he is now blessing mm-hmm. and how the church is going forward and how the present uh, staff is uh, uh, organizing and teaching people and, and how the building has gone ahead. And I foresee the future to be greater than and to go forward. And we continue to pray for all of the church staff and the Amen. pastors. Amen. And I guess we'll just keep on praying and looking forward and serving the Lord. Amen. That's good. Well, I just want to say we bless both of you. We're so appreciative of your faithfulness to this house over the years. And we believe the Lord and just the Lord will add good years yet for both of you, mm-hmm. and uh, that with health and strength, oh. and in, in soundness of mind, mm-hmm. and um, we uh, you know this church we we are in a blessing today, and believe that the blessing will be even greater. But the blessing day because of faithfulness of people over the years that uh, prayed and and attended and contributed and believed in the vision. And, uh, you know, we're sitting in the reward of that labor. Mm -hmm. And um, now now is the time to continue to labor for the greater reward that will come. And I remember, I don't know who's many preachers have said it, and I'm sure you've heard it, they say, you know, the, the future is as bright as the promises of God. Amen. The future is as bright as the promises of God. Caleb, any words you'd want to say and I'll hit this? Just feel honored to be able to sit down with uh, with the two of you and Pastor Tim today. Just uh, hearing how the Lord's worked in your lives and in the mm-hmm. life of this church. You know, it's one thing to look at history, but when, when you think of history, of the work of God through that history, yeah. and the thread of His Spirit through that history, it brings a lot more meaning. It right. does. And uh, I'm thankful for the work of God in your lives. Praise God. God's been faithful. Amen. Thank you, brothers. God bless you. It's been a pleasure to be here and to chat with you, gentlemen, because God's been so faithful over the years, and he's going to be faithful in 2020. Amen. I feel that souls are going to get saved. Amen. People's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Praise be unto God. Praise be unto God. Thank you.